Welcome to Your Money with DeWitt Capital Management, a show about investing, the markets, life, and everything in between. David DeWitt Jr. and Sr. and Scott Frank will share what they've been reading and listening to and what the trends are in the market. All opinions expressed in the show are solely the opinions of Dave, Dave, and Scott or any guest on the show and do not reflect the opinions of DeWitt Capital Management. All content within the podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decision making. All right, so there was this interesting article on oil prices and how they are expected to go higher next year. Uh, Dave, I know you read this and thought it was interesting. Yeah, there's a website called oilprice.com and there's a uh, an article in there that came out uh, recently talking about how there will be a shortage of oil in the first half of next year. <clears throat> and um, currently, you know, oil in the United States is around 38 39 40 you know dollars a barrel uh, WTI pricing um, if if oil were to rise back up to 50 or higher which could easily happen because of all the production that's been shut down because of the lower oil prices and the covid lockdowns uh, when that period goes away you know we're going to be stuck in a position where we don't have enough oil so you know, the energy sector in the S&P 500 in 2020 is about 2.8%, but in 1980, it was 30%. So there, a lot of people think oil and energy has been uninvestable, but, you know, when things become completely thrown out the window, usually that's, you know, the bottom. Yeah, Maybe, I, I, do, I do think it's extremely interesting how it, it feels as though, the market in general has just, you know, just tossed oil out the window. Like it's not even an important thing anymore, but, but still the vast majority of the economy is still using oil and natural gas and fossil fuels to power everything that we do pretty much. I mean, even, you know, even when you're getting your, uh, you know, even when you're using a Tesla, I mean, how was that battery in that car created? I mean, the electricity of the factory, was that done by solar? I mean, maybe that's the goal, but for now, I think it's still oil, natural gas. And so it's very interesting how small oil has become in the minds of the market when it's still such an important thing uh, in terms of what we do every single day. Yeah, Pulitzer Prize writer Daniel Jurgen, who wrote the book, The Prize, which was the Bible for the oil industry and how oil back, you know, when countries were industrializing, you know, finding oil was like, you know, like that was the prize. And he wrote a book about that years ago. He was just, he just wrote another book called The New Map, Energy, Climate, and the Clash of Nations. And I'm in the middle of reading it right now. And it really goes into detail about um, how China and United States, this is, I'm switching subjects a little bit, are, are going to increasingly be uh, clashing. Um, and it's, a lot of it is around the South China Sea where there are allegedly or there's supposedly a lot of oil it under the under under the seabed there yeah and uh you know they want to come china wants to control the south china sea and they've taken small islands and turned them into military bases and the united states is going to challenge that so it, it sets up it's a good thing the united states let's put it this way it's a good thing the united states had its own oil and natural gas delivery if we were still dependent on the far you know the, the middle east or russia for uh natural gas and oil, we would be in trouble. 
but uh, anyways, I'm only in, I'm only basically a third of the way through the book, but I'll you know I'll talk more about it later when we when I get into different parts. Yeah, um, I just remember back in was it 2014 or 16 when the oil crash happened. I mean, I remember when the market was so you know, step in, in lockstep with oil price, you know, the oil price was going down, the market was going down. And it just seems like that's almost a, a bygone day uh, era. And that was only a couple of years ago, a few years ago. So it yeah. just seems like oil has just become such a less, such a less of a focus uh, to the market. Well, it if you seems- look at yeah, one data point, right? So year to date, if you look at energy, I mean, down about 47% or so. Uh, but if you look at clean energy, um, if you look at clean energy companies, uh, certainly through you know, an ETF, that's up over 100% for the year. That's very interesting. Maybe the so, market is finally starting to appreciate or believe that clean energy is going to make more inroads than maybe yes. some people have thought. I think so. Yeah. As an example of that switch, energy transfer, which is probably the first or second largest uh, master limited partnership, United States transporting oil and natural gas made a big investment in solar. And so even the, uh, uh, the big energy companies are yeah. starting yeah. to get it. And speaking of solar, just yesterday I had solar panels installed on my roof. Oh yeah, really? Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Got it. It was, it was totally free and I'm saving about a hundred bucks a month on my uh, utility bill. Wow. So how about that? So you I must do, have a south facing roof. Yes, I well I got it on both sides of my roof. So both sides of my roof are gonna have some for free. Sun. For free, yeah. I mean that's that's of course thanks to some federal government uh uh grants, I think. But I think yeah. after this year, so they they told me that they've like this year alone they've done like that comp this company's done like fifty thousand houses in Pennsylvania. And they expect that to go to like, you know, hundreds next year because this is the last year of those grants for Pennsylvania. Um, How long did it take them to do the installation? It took about eight hours, I'd say. Wow, it's not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Um, so, I mean, that's an example. I mean, I, I've getting my, you know, in 20 years, I, I will uh, fully own, this house will fully own the, uh, the system and it'll be basically a self-sufficient home apart from the uh gas usage but so yeah that's great hey scott going back to that uh you mentioned the return on that clean energy etf yes up a hundred percent for the year that's right that's right what yeah and if you look at kind of you know from from all like the the sub industries in the u.s uh it's uh it's the the clear leader this year Uh, and and next to internet companies uh, in the U.S., um, which is up around roughly 47%. To keep in mind that we're not recommending any particular investment, and that's not the purpose of this podcast. Right. What the, yeah. Uh, what is the ETF? Uh, PBW. What is that again? PBW. Like Paul Barry Water? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, just an observation. It's yeah, it's an observation, data point. Yep. Okay, um, moving on. Last week, we talked a little bit about uh, value investing and how we think maybe uh, value 
could potentially have a run that actually sustains itself. And um, I was reading through one of my, uh, one of the uh, investment managers I like, uh, Bill Miller, in their equity opportunity uh, fund, their Q3 letter. I like reading them. Um, they, they like to talk a lot about how, uh, how they're, they're always looking for opportunities that are value based on both, you know, traditional value evaluation and also looking for, you know, value that is growth at the right price. And I think they have done a good job of that over time, but they have really lagged over the last several years. And I thought there was a couple interesting um, uh, quotes or uh, sort of passages in their, in their letter. Um, trying to find here. And I know they talk about how, you know, whenever they talk to analysts, sell side analysts, and uh, they ask the sell side analysts for the top picks, they mention how their top picks are always something that is going to do well over the next 12 months. And I think they kind of allude to the fact that that's because that's actually what the modern market is demanding. I mean, just like how, you know, millennials want instant gratification, the market has kind of gone to that too, where they want, you know, instant returns. And I think, you know, that's great and all, but if everyone's doing the same thing, you know, everyone's getting the same, the same returns. And uh, they really do take the approach of um, finding the longer term uh, value. Well, maybe Scott, you could uh, tell us a little bit about what value is versus growth and well we know what value versus growth is um i think i think the point that i'm trying to make is that you know they just invest so differently so their returns are usually pretty uh uncorrelated to the market um so they'll go on long stretches up outperformance when what has been hot is not hot and i do think that's that's similar to how we like to think about things well, Bill Miller, I think, was uh, ran, ran the Mason Value Fund. I think it was that. Um, and then I guess he went on his own, and it's uh, and he's got quite a following. Um, what type of stocks is he investing in now? You don't have to give names, but maybe describe them. Uh, you know, he's well. You know, he's always looking for things that have been, you know, when they when they first when they first make an investment, they always want to make sure they're getting a price they think is right. And they want to be able to quickly and articulately and passionately explain why it's a great buy. And I think that's a great way to do it. Um, and, um, but they, they like to buy things where there's no competition for the stock at the time because not everyone's trying to buy it. And they try and project out several years and see how that company is going to be able to create significant free cash flow and significant value to shareholders. So they are always trying to initiate investments at a time when no one else is initiating an investment in that particular company. And I just think that it's sounds a, like Warren Buffett. It's a, yeah. I mean, they love to quote Warren Buffett in their, in their letters. I mean, um, they really do. Um, and, and just to give a data point when it comes to non-correlation between some of these styles, if you look at just for instance, year to date, um, as I guess of yesterday's close, right. Um, where growth stocks, uh, generically are up probably around 18, 19%, uh, momentum stocks. So things that are, uh, having fairly, uh, fast price appreciation in the last six or 12 months is up about 12 or so where value stocks are down about 16. 
right? So just uh, a fairly, uh, fairly big uh, dispersion there that uh, at some stage, cyclicality of it will reverse, right? And so, right. Uh, yes. you know, we think it makes sense to, uh, to start looking at value um, given this dispersion as wide as it is. That could have been this uh, momentum trading could be exacerbated by the what they call the Robin Hood effect. There was an article in uh, Bloomberg Business Week about how the Robin Hood effect is new investors investing in stocks that are moving and that have a technological bent or are COVID related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really taking off. Yeah, that certainly could have, I'm sure, has been exacerbating some of this this sort of phenomenon of phenomenon of getting, you know, trying to find that instant return. Uh, I think as we all know, that won't last forever. Um, One of the quotes from Bill Miller in the paper is uh, he says, it's never been easier to construct a portfolio. You have confidence will do well over the long term, five plus years, but it's never been more difficult to construct one. You have confidence will do well over the short term, six months. And I totally agree with that. I think that's pretty smart. Um, well, the market volatility lately has been off the charts and you know, up and down such massive amounts. I can see his point. Right, yeah. I mean, right now, if you're going to be trying to buy what's been working for the last six months, thinking in the next six months will give you a similar return. Um, of course, we don't know, but... Yeah, uh, call me a skeptic. Anyways, yeah, I, I saw an interesting data point, I think is in the Wall Street Journal two days ago, that in China, 80% of the trading is retail, whereas in the United States, 15% of the trading is retail. Uh, it's, it's up in the United States from where it's been, but it's China's market's been, you know, on fire. Uh, but it's, it's 80% retail. Yeah. That's, yeah. Very, that's very interesting. Um, so we also talked a little bit about emerging markets last week, and um, there is one particular um, sort of carve out of emerging markets that is best represented by an ETF called uh, the ticker is EMQQ um, that we have been just tracking. And um, uh, I think we all think it's a very interesting uh, method they have of investing. And I think, um, Scott, what is it? What is the, the, so they invest in companies that are derive their revenue from emerging markets and it has to be in, I think, internet or something. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So it's, it's firms that are deriving the revenues from, uh, from an emerging market and the, uh, the industries that they invest in, uh, is, um, it's internet. So from, uh, from online e-commerce uh, to internet platforms to gaming, uh, anything that is uh, that's online um, uh, that you can consume, whether it's entertainment, media, shopping, uh, in e-commerce, um, these are the companies that uh, that this uh, this fund invests in. Right, and so from what I was looking at last night, it looks like for. So if you look at the E, uh, E E, uh, E E M, the uh, iShares Emerging Markets Index, which is just the traditional emerging markets index, uh, over the past year up twelve percent versus the E M Q Q, 
up 82%. So clearly they are, they are specializing in an, uh, um, an area of more explosive, I think might be fair to say growth. And um, I, was on the, I was on their webcast yesterday, an hour long webcast from their portfolio manager and um, the EMQ, they avoid the large state enterprises of China uh, or, or big, you know, behemoths that are uh, really basically um, for the walking dead type companies that are like state owned, communist owned. They, they're investing in the entrepreneurial, real, true uh, growth companies. And it, interestingly, he said that if you look at the emerging uh, countries, um, they didn't have phones, landline phones, they didn't have computers but they are moving directly from having nothing to supercomputers in their pockets with the access to the internet and access to all this information to do this, you know. So these pocket phones, and they're not expensive, like the ones made in China could be like 80 bucks or 50 bucks, 60 bucks. And they've gone from nothing to doing everything with a supercomputer in their pocket. And he said, this is gonna have a major, major impact on their growth rates. Yes, agreed. And I think, um... It's fascinating to me, and you know, as I've been looking into this, I, you know, I was sort of really shocked to see some of the stats, because I know I certainly have taken the fact that I've had a smartphone for you know probably nearly ten years for granted. I look at you know this is as of 2017. It's a little dated, but in 2017, you know, for instance, India had only 22% smartphone penetration, meaning 22% of their population had a smartphone. Um, so wow, that's what wow. was my my thought. Yeah, they're completely leapfrogging into um, into to no access to the internet to uh, to it in their pocket. So, um, and you're you're talking what twenty two percent of what one point three billion people. Um, right. So that's roughly what uh, the amount of internet users or, or smartphone users in India is roughly the population of the U.S. currently. Now wait till that goes to 60, 70, 80 percent penetration. Right. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be a very large number. Right. So um, in the in, in investment case sort of um, paper that EMQQ has published, um, they, they, note, they note the three main trends, which is uh, smart, trend number one being smartphones becoming affordable and ubiquitous, which we have covered a little bit there. Um, Trend two, mobile and Wi-Fi broadband internet access are surging, which enables that growth. And then trend three, the globalization of the capital formation process, which is basically the idea that, um, you know, people, you know, um, the entrepreneurs in these countries are now teaming up with with, with the capital centers of the world, USA, um, and they're getting the funding to grow. And, you know, these are the companies that, an ETF and ETFs like EMQQ, if there's even anyone like EMQQ are, um, are investing in. And so is it fair to say it's kind of like investing in some of the largest now companies in the USA early? Is it, a, is it, is it fair to say that, is it possible that investing in an EMQQ could be similar to investing a second chance of getting into some of the fastest growing companies in the USA early? Scott, why don't you uh, say something about that? Yeah, um, I mean, my opinion is is yes. I mean, if you just look at the sheer number of users, um, 
that will be coming online over the next 10 or 20 years. Uh, and two, if you look at like the rates of, uh, of the amount of consumption, so how long somebody in the emerging market is spending on their phone, consuming entertainment, media, uh, shopping, um, gaming, uh, those rates continue to increase too. So I think, um, I think there's great opportunity from an investment perspective uh, and for companies that, you know, are going online and continue to offer content or building content around it. So, um, so I do think this is, this is a, a trend that will continue um, uh, for, uh, for a fairly long period of time. The, uh, the statistic we talked about last week or as a projection is that in India and in China, and I may be a little bit off on these numbers, but like 80% of the population of India is in poverty, but by, in 2020, but by 2000, there will be 80% in the middle class. And um, going back to oil and energy, you know, these people are going to go from, you know, riding a bike to maybe wanting to drive a car. Yeah, and I think that car will be internal combustion at first. Uh, I don't think they're going to skip from bike to Tesla. Um, <laughs> that's, that's probably not going to be. like to. That one might not be the natural progression of things. But I think I do think it's this is great. It's great for um, – it's great not even – not just as an, uh, as an investment opportunity, but it's great to, to have the rest of the world, you know, go into the middle class and the standard of, of living increasing everywhere thanks to technology – you know, is a great thing that should be, you know, that should be um, celebrated. Yeah. And going back to what we talked about last week, world population peaking in a little bit past the mid 2060 timeframe. If all these people are moving to the middle class and they all want cars, then the renewable push has to be even stronger. Right. Correct. That's right. So there's no, one um, the need for clean energy. Yeah. And just to put this into a little bit more perspective, um, this opportunity was named by uh, McKinsey and co as, um, so they say by 2025, annual consumption in emerging markets will reach 30 trillion, which they coin as the biggest growth opportunity in the history of capitalism. I mean, that is most certainly a very bold statement. Very bold statement. And just as this paper rightly says after they uh, note this is that it wouldn't even be so bad if it was the second or third or fourth biggest either. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so that's that. And you said McKinsey, this is a McKinsey report. So these guys are like top, top tier consultants. That's right. Right. Okay. Um, I think we flushed that out. Um, something I saw that was pretty interesting. I like this website, visual capitalist. They do have some interesting things and this is just, if I could open it, maybe it's here. Okay. So they have this visual that says, here's what's, here's what happens every minute on the internet, on the internet in 2020. So every minute, for instance, 60 or six or almost 7,000 Amazon packages ship. Um, every minute, uh, every minute there's 
40, okay, let me make sure I'm saying this number correctly. 41 million shared WhatsApp messages. Every minute, there is 147,000 photos uploaded onto Facebook. Every minute, there's 200,000 participants in a Zoom meeting. And this just goes on and on and on. Every minute, there's um, 555 DoorDash diner orders delivered. Um, like what? This, this graphic is really interesting. Uh, uh, it's too bad that our listeners can't actually see it. Yeah, I will post this to our Instagram uh, account so, you guys, so people can see it. But it's very... Very fascinating indeed. And it, and it kind of ties into the EMQQ thing because this is sort of, you know, um, these are going to just go much higher. I mean, I'd like to see this in 10 years, the yeah. same chart. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all we had prepared for today. So, um, all right. So thanks, everybody. We'll talk next week. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you want a question highlighted on the show or have any comments or feedback, shoot us an email at yourmoneydoit at gmail.com. See you on the next one.